go ahead and apologize for all the times I blow people's ears out coughing. We'll see if I can uh, hold off on doing that. Y'all do a fantastic job centering the rows here. <laughs> and that was super sarcasm, if you didn't pick up on it. But like Alex said, um, tonight we just really wanted to take time outside of our usual flow of things. Um, tonight was supposed to be a giant kickball night, um, which don't worry, it's still going to be in the works a little bit later, maybe as a group MC event. Um, but we really want to take time tonight and do exactly what we said and look at the one solution amongst many answers of what it means to be a Christian. Um, and there are many of those. If you've been here with us on Sundays, we have been getting to go through Philippians together. Um, and most recently, got to go through the scriptural call to be first aware of false teaching, as well as the scriptural call to call out false teaching. And Pastor Kyle did a great job uh, outlining how in the Christian world today, there's not a lot of this being done because much of it has been shaped by kind of how the world would go about something, if that makes sense. So it's almost this picture of we don't necessarily want to be mean people or be judgmental and we'll take that note from the world and just not say anything about it when the reality is it's almost like not loving the gospel enough to stand up for it. Does that make sense? Y'all following me? So we're taking the time tonight to kind of give a clear picture of the gospel because we do love the gospel enough to do that. We love y'all enough to do that. And there are plenty other megaphones shouting out variations of the gospel. And if you've been here for the past two, three weeks, who can tell me what a half-truth is? Just shout it out. A lie. Thank you, intern Jack. That was super good. And so we just really want to take the time tonight, like I said, to dive into this and ask you guys to dive into it with me. Um, and maybe for the first time tonight, if recognizing what it means to be a Christian for the first time tonight, then all glory be to God for that. But even if you can claim to be in here tonight, maybe have a revitalizing realization of what it means to be a Christian, what makes you a Christian, if you can claim to be. So, Father, thank you so much for the chance to do this tonight, God, to step away from what we had planned and step into what you had planned, God. Just thank you for who you are, that you alone are worthy, and that you would save mere sinners and send them out to do kingdom work. So, God, thank you for letting us play a part. Thank you for calling us by name. Thank you for loving us before we ever even thought of loving you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bible tonight or next somebody who does, go ahead and turn to Luke 9. Luke 9, and we'll be in verse 23. We'll be in verse 23. As you turn there, I just want to take a second and just talk a little bit more about what it means to have a false version of something floating around, right? And kind of use this illustration to do that and I'm sure many of us can relate to it in here tonight whether it's from middle school or growing up or any time in between uh, if you've been lovingly disciplined by your parents 
because you might have been doing something you wanted to do or trying something you wanted to try, but it wasn't for your greatest good, and they sort of kept you from doing that, right? So a brief example, maybe doing something like trying to eat, what's that, cookie cereal, cookie crisp? Is that the cuckoo for cookie crisp or whatever? Cocoa, Cocoa Puffs. Puffs. They did a mashup back in the 90s. You must have missed it. I, I did too if they did. But it would be something like eating cookie crisp for breakfast every morning, right? And the parents just kind of throwing their hands up and be like, oh, go ahead. Keep that in the back of your mind. Take for another example your middle school best friend dating that boy or girl that is super not the one to date because really should be no such thing as middle school dating anyway. Can't date for marriage. Why are they dating, right? Am I right? Thanks, guys. But you don't say anything because you see your friends really, really happy. But you know it's not good for them, right? Taking in, for example, you see somebody driving down a path one leads to wide open road that goes as far as the eye can see, and the other, you know, is heading towards a cliff, but you don't say a single thing, and they take the one that leads to a cliff. And all those situations, are you loving your friend well, and would the parents be loving the child well? That's not a trick question. No, thank you, Caitlin. I'm so great about speaking out. No, absolutely not. The same can be said specifically about eternal matters, right? When from Scripture, we're given one clear way to live out the Christian life. (coughs) There's number one. Keep count. (coughs) Ah, Probably need it off anyway. There's one clear way to live the Christian life. So when I say that, I don't want you to hear Bailey Miller saying, as somebody that's part of the Branch Church Millersville College Director of FAM, saying, our way is the right way to do it. Hear me out and hear me say this. Never will we say that from the Branch Church Millersville. The only thing we will say is that we have certainly taken the time to study Scripture. Pastor Kyle certainly takes the time to reflect on what Scripture says. And if you've been with us long enough, there's a reason you only hear from this. There's a reason you don't necessarily, necessarily hear so many anecdotes or personal stories or so many sort of rabbits being chased down rabbit holes of self-help tips or maybe next step applications that can help you have a better week. Because the fact of the matter is we're not necessarily concerned with having a better week for y'all's end. We love you guys very much and are more so concerned with having a more meaningful life and an eternity spent with God. So when we come together and take a look at what the one true gospel is, uh, the last thing I want is for anybody to get the sense of their mind of what they're just judging anything else. They're just saying that this is the one right way, and they're just disapproving of maybe even where I'm coming from. I want to go ahead and level the playing field and say the one thing that we are doing and always strive to do is, again, take what we see Scripture to say and ask that you would step into it with us, right? That's all we ever do before. Any chance we get to talk to you guys, any chance we get to preach on Sundays, as we go to this, let it shape who we are, and then in turn come to you guys with the hopes of being shaped into looking more like Christ.
<coughs> a quote's coming to mind um, from David Platt, who says, Scripture isn't a list of suggestions we come and pick and choose from, but rather a list of commands that we come and obey, and the result is life. So tonight, I want to go ahead and set the floor to go ahead and get that out of the way, if it was even in here to begin with, and say, this is what we mean by there being one true gospel. And it fully acknowledges that there are those that are not true gospels. Much more serious than the examples I gave, much more impactful than the examples I gave. And I, I can't imagine a more fitting week for all of us when we are reminded in the community of how short this life is and how much it can just disappear just like that from something you never see coming, from something you never would have thought. And if not for you, then from someone that you maybe never even got to share the gospel with. If not for them, maybe for you, never even knowing if tomorrow's coming and maybe not having the fullest understanding of this gospel we're talking about. So that's what we're pressing into tonight when we're looking at Luke 9, starting here in verse 23. And it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And we're going to take our time here tonight <coughs> and really kind of dissect this. And so that's Jesus speaking to the 12 apostles. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. In response to the question of what does one have to do, Christ, to be a follower of you, right? Something that seems like a simple question, if you can imagine being in their shoes and asking Christ, well, how does one be a follower of you? You'd imagine it would come with some simple answer that says, well, simply follow, right? Well, simply see how I love and you love in the same way. Simply see what I do and you do in the same way. See how I act and you act in the same way. But maybe Christ had a full understanding as he is the Godhead, right? 100% God, 100% man, like he had to be, and knew that his disciples, being simply 100% man, could never take on such a burden of seeing the standard of perfection and fully living it out. So don't get me wrong, there's certainly that standard of perfection, right? We strive towards the example set by Christ, but are enabled to strive to begin with by Christ. Does that make sense? Take a note down if it doesn't. We'll revisit that. We are enabled to pursue perfection in the example that Christ set through Christ himself. That's the reason Christ commands in Scripture never mirror that, never say See how I do it. Do it exactly the same way. If he was, he'd be setting us up for failure. And see, that's just the truth of the matter, is that there are plenty of other buildings that would claim to function as churches and plenty of other teachings and functioning groups that would claim to function as ministries that would say it in less specific ways, but give a certain message of if you just insert the blank, then you could see Christ move. Right, With all of us and the baggage we bring in here tonight, there would be some who would say, if you just behaved more, 
or if you just had more faith, right? Or the question form, what are you believing in, right? If you just believe more in the promises of God, you would see God move. Or if you just believed more in who Christ says you are, you would see Christ more presently in your lives. Now, if you pay close attention on the surface, it may not seem like such a bad thing, but the most beautiful truth can be disguised in the slickest lie. And that all of those mediums of thinking and living make it impossible for us to measure up. Right? The reason of that being is because it says, what, at the very beginning? If you, if you, if you, it makes it all contingent on you and your actions or inactivity. It makes it all contingent on you and your beliefs or amount of belief. It makes it all seem like a house of cards and you're holding it up on plates of everything you're having to juggle just to see the next card fall. And how trapping does that seem? It's something that we're not usually aware of until we're on the other side of the house of cards falling down. It's not something that we fully stop and think of in the moment, right? We got to talk about this in MC North the other week, that we don't necessarily maybe have a full view of the gospel and don't in turn preach the gospel to ourselves. And because of that, we go throughout our days with something we would claim to be convictions from Christ, but having no idea that Christ fulfilled the work of himself. So instead of knowing that, instead of trusting that, we go about our days thinking we can offer addition to what Christ said, addition to what Christ did. And very slowly and very sneakily, we become our own saviors. And that's a scary thought and it can present itself in ways where we think <coughs> no I'm strong enough right that was my favorite go-to growing up and still is you can ask Abby in the back where we have the craziest weeks and we think no I don't necessarily have to lean on God in this I know he will work this out for you know the good of the people who love him right something that becomes so nuanced in our heads from maybe growing up in it, and we just seem to forget about. And the thing I want to encourage you guys on tonight is that God in every situation won't just work it out for your good and for his glory as a child of God, right? But he is actively working it out. Another favorite kind of nuanced term is that Christ is ever-present, right? <coughs> I think it's like six or seven. That Christ is ever-present, but we kind of choose to ignore that because Christ is ever-present, he's ever-working in us, right? If we can say we have relationship with him. <coughs> Sweet. If we can say we have relationship with him, God is not so far off that he will wait to see the end result and then twist it for his glory and your good. but he's right there in the thick of it. 
And which God would you prefer to know? Which God would you prefer to be sovereign of your life? The other one? <coughs> the God that is ever-present, truly and ever-working, right? Because how exhausting does the alternative sound of a God that requires and waits on us to do our part for his good and his glory to be known throughout the earth. And that's the thing about Christianity today, no matter where you're coming at in here in regards to Christianity, but it's simply lost its identity of being rooted and founded on who God says he is, who God says we are, and how he loves us despite the two. Does that make sense? Instead of starting from that base level, it says, look at who God is and look at how worth it humanity was. Ask my MC this question as well. And you can ask yourself it tonight. But does your view of the gospel, does your view of Christ's life say that you were enough to save or that Christ is enough to save? And it serves as this sort of gut check to see how high and how equal, without maybe even knowing it, are we placing ourselves in comparison to Christ. And before we realize it, we as people are living having no idea of the true gospel, having no idea of what it means to truly live, and because of that, having no idea about who God is. And that's what these verses go on to say, picking up where we left. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And now I know you're thinking, what? <coughs> wait, Bailey, I thought you said it doesn't really depend on what we do, but here I'm just commanded to take up my cross. So certainly that means I have to do this to follow the Lord. Does it? We'll continue on and read. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Continue in verse 26. <coughs> for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Just hear how immediate and how in such contrast those verses read. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, again, Jesus speaking, <coughs> of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. It's not some sort of scare tactic or forcing your hand, but again, ask yourself the question, does your view of the gospel say that you are enough to save 
or that Christ was enough to save. Because one will lead to righteousness in Christ, and the other will lead to being ashamed of him, being ashamed of us, and being ashamed of Christ's words over us. And we just see here that the result of that isn't necessarily a pass. Right? We know that God is love. We, we know that God is quick to forgive, that God is long-suffering toward us and his creation, that God is merciful. But in all those things, the glue that holds it all together is that God is just. That he will repay death for death and give life to life, as scripture promises. And that here, if we walk through this life <coughs> with a false understanding of what it means to follow Christ, it will only lead to shame, and that shame will re be repaid with shame at the foot of the creator of the universe. Could there be anything more terrifying? Especially, again, not knowing where everybody at is with Christianity in here tonight. But consider maybe the truth that there was a divine creator of this world. That the way you're blinking even now, he is so omnipresent and omniscient. He knows of the way your heart is beating. He not only hears, but is conducting like his orchestra. Even if you hate the thought of that, just present this with me for a second. And consider that that is true. Consider that there is something after this life. But consider the possibility of never taking hold of that, of never realizing Christ's death for you and then reaching the end of your days into eternity and seeing God repay your shame against him with shame on you. Again, another reason we take time away from our rotation and our schedule to lovingly come together and press into this because we all need to be aware, again, no matter where we're at with Christianity, that there's variations of this going around. That there's twisting of this that, again, would refocus your attention on self and make it seem as if the way your life goes and the way your eternity would go hinges first and foremost on you. And if that be the case, then there's nothing awaiting us but shame. But Christ is sufficient. That's why at the very beginning, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The act of denying oneself is supernatural to its core because there's nothing that our flesh loves to do more than please itself. There's nothing that we as people, especially in our age bracket, love to do more than get what we think is ours and do it again the next day. There's nothing easier to do than do what feels easy. And I know we've all experienced it. I experienced it today. And that this life is set up 
with the, the hand kind of stacked against us, against this flesh, to where there's every opportunity to do what is easy, to do what is more immediate, immediately satisfying. And we can take the surface level issues of maybe partaking in substances that we should not be. We can take the behavioral issues of that, but we can take it to its core about why the idea of denying ourselves is so counterintuitive to the flesh that it's impossible without the cross. The same could be said about if I came to you and you were blind and I just said, open your eyes and see, would you be able to see anything? No. Not even if you opened your eyes forcibly with your fingers, not even if you believed in it hard enough. Not even in this New Testament church if I laid hands on you and prayed hard enough. There would be no way to see. There would be no means by which that could happen. And the very same description is given to us in the Bible about what it means to fully realize God's glory for the first time. Scripture describes it as the veil being opened. Consider the branch and where we gather. We can't see the inside of this if the curtains are closed. We can't see it if it's veiled. It describes it as scales falling from the eyes. Scales meaning that the eyes were just entrapped and sealed shut, not even knowing it, that there was anything to see. The same way we walk around a lot of our days, just looking down at our feet, looking down on our phones, not even realizing that there's everything to see in this life. The same way that we can't say we know who God is if we have not yet seen him. But again, taking it back to the example, if you were spiritually blind and I came to you and told you, open your eyes and see the Lord, would you see the Lord? No. The only way to see the Lord is if he himself causes the scales fall. If he himself, on the other side of the veil, tears it, with his glory and lets us see it. That's the thing people don't realize, maybe to take a step back from the seriousness of it, is that Bird Box was a stupid movie and the biggest kind of ripoff and twist on this truth is that it was contorted, if you haven't seen it, that's on you, spoilers. It was contorted to these people after seeing this worst nightmare imaginable, this terrible thing to the point where it consumes them. That's all they can do, whether it be to their own destruction or the destruction of others, right? And it uses it, and I loved it. It used the clear picture of they had to see it, right? And we see in the movie that it's not even something tangible that they could touch. It's not really even something that they could see. It wasn't there, but their eyes were open to this reality, and the characters would describe it as beautiful 
and powerful to the point they were trying to pry other people's eyes open to it successfully to the point where they were doing everything in their power to get other people to realize the reality they were just shown. Now consider a stupid Netflix knockoff and how well some second-rate Hollywood director captured a truth that there is such a thing, that there is such a power and supreme being that once you see it, once you get it and understand it, you can do nothing but live for it and contrast how poorly the church today can take a true version of that, the one true version of that, and seemingly does everything to keep it to themselves. The fact of the matter is, all of this is tied back to the cross. It says it in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And we have to understand that the two commands here are preceded by two workings of the Lord, the command to deny himself and the command to pick up his cross. The first to deny yourself simply can happen because God has already denied you and yourself. Hear me say this. God has seen us. God has seen what we have to offer, and he hung it on the cross. All the words up there tonight, every sin pinned on a blood-soaked cross from eternity past, present, forever, all of those things were exactly what we had to offer as creation to our creator, and he pinned it on the cross. So the call to deny yourself is preceded with the truth that God saw your life, saw what it had to offer within itself, and denied it. The call to pick up and bear your cross only is a call because Christ himself bared the cross. And hear that tonight. It's something that I know we just seem to pass over a lot in this Southeast culture. And it's something that's easy. It's something that's easy to just take advantage of and use as bumper stickers or slogans or logos or a means to an end for our own personal benefit. But the fact of the matter is that the cross was something that was thought up of and executed because it was the worst possible murder machine that there was at the time, and even still today, potentially. That the thought of leaving someone to hang for hours on end after flogging them, after beating them to the point where they couldn't walk, and telling them to bear a wooden cross atop a hill that they would hang from. Guys and girls, the call to take up your cross is only a call because Christ bore the cross for you. 
that God not only denied the life you had to offer yourself, and instead, he didn't leave it there, right? If he's ever present, he's ever working. And if he's ever working, he's ever being glorified. And if he's being glorified, then the good is being executed in his sons and daughters. As he sees what we have to offer ourselves, denies us of it, denies himself of it, and casts it far off as far as the east is from the west, and offers the propitiation and sacrifice of his son of perfection. To where you don't have to be perfect. You were never made to be. The only one who was ever made to be came and was and died and was resurrected. And there's not a one of us in this room. There's not a single person in this world, no matter what they may claim of themselves. No matter what they may claim they have to offer you. There's no new working of Jesus to be had today. Hear me say that. There's no new revelation that the Lord is just holding above you like a carrot on a stick waiting for you to jump high enough. Whatever valley you're in right now, whatever breakthrough you're waiting for is the cross. You're just looking in the wrong spot. There's no greater sign of love. There's no greater sign of purpose. There's no greater sign of intentionality. There's no greater sign of all healing love than the cross. There's no work of man. There's no word of man. There's no empty promise of man that we can offer apart from this that is greater than the cross. And here's the beautiful thing about it. While there's a popular teacher in Alpharetta who would say that Christianity itself can stand on its own two nail-pierced feet and the event of the cross is that the cross was never an event. It, w- it wasn't like a Super Bowl that people gathered to watch and ate popcorn. It was a covenant promise between God and his children. Hear that. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he shouted out that it is finished, he was thinking of the finished work of you and you and you if you can claim to be a son and daughter of the king. It wasn't something that was far off. It was never a second-rate plan. It was never a backup. It was the initial intention of our Lord in Christianity. It was the initial plan of God that his son would be pierced for our transgressions, that God seeing eternity ahead of himself as he is outside of it and all of time just looks like a dot to him that he saw our means to an end. He saw our end within ourselves. And he saw it was death. He saw that sin led to the fruit of death and instead offers life. Matthew 10 also says this in 37 through 39. And it takes it a step further to say, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, something that could read like it's a trick question, but it's not. There's no workaround to what Christ is saying here. There's no workaround to say, well, figuratively, he means if 
you love him more than mom and dad and for parents if they love him more than son. There's no workaround for that. That's a beautiful image that while parents, mothers and fathers, while children, sons and daughters are beautiful things to be loved, that if they are ever even held in comparison to how much we love Christ, how much we recognize the work of the cross in Christianity, that we're not worthy. (coughs) And guys, I think that's the nail on the head about all of this, is that it's a daily reminder that we're not, we never were, but he is. And the truth about Christianity is exactly that. It's not a sort of carnival game where you're given a set of situations. It's not an escape room where you're told a set of rules and given something to do to save yourself, to see yourself beat something. It is all centered on Scripture, all points to the cross. And the cross is a beautiful reminder to us that that's where we should have been. Every word up there, our pride, our lust, our envy, our flesh, our shortcomings, the effects of those things, sickness, death, loss, all of those things are means to an end when we apply our own means to life. When we, when we understand that maybe there is the supreme creator of this world. Maybe there is the all-knowing God that knit together you. And that he doesn't hide his plan. He certainly doesn't hide his intention in the cross. The call to deny ourselves is met with the hope that we're identified with Christ if we can say we know him. And the thing about the Christian faith is it's not some fluffy cloud that's floating around. It's firm and logistical and renews our minds to understand the only way that we can know the Lord is if he knows us. The only way that we can love those around us and love our Lord is if he loves us. The only way that we can be a Christian is to bear our cross. The only way you can bear your cross is because Christ bore the ultimate one for you. Are you bearing the cross? If not, do you know the work of the cross? If not, do you know Christ? If not, What are you staking your life in? Are you in a car going 90 to nothing off the edge of a cliff? If you are, hear this tonight. Christ, the answer to that question, does the gospel paint a picture that you're enough to save or that Christ is enough to save? 10 out of 10 every single time. Christ is enough to save. Because here's the deal. 
when we do get to the finish line, when we do answer to the all-supreme creator, when we are at his feet, after he has lovingly and justly worked all things for his purpose and design plan, the only thing that he will be able to even look at and welcome into his presence is perfection. And what is our perfection? Certainly nothing about ourselves. Certainly nothing where we were told to do something in this life, like carry ourselves or to even carry our cross without the knowledge that the cross was carried for us. Or, or even this ideology that we can carry the love of a Savior. The fact of the matter is, if we think so highly of ourselves, that we think we can just go smile the heck out of and love the heck out of anyone unto Christ. As we say we take on the love of Christ, you also be better be ready to take on every weight of every sin as Christ did. And if you've tried this in life, you know how crushing it can feel. But the truth and the joy of Christianity is the call to bear our cross is in remembrance and knowledge that the cross was bore for us. That every day we should deny ourselves, that we know this, that you may know this as a son and daughter, that your life may be saturated with the knowledge of the cross, that your actions should be shaped by the cross, that what you listen to, what you watch, how you speak, how you interact, isn't set on some behavior, moral, standard but is set on the cross how you love Christ is rooted in how Christ has loved you do you know that tonight does your life bear the cross if not do you know the work of the cross <coughs> again let us love you well enough to say that the greatest joy is that you are never supposed to carry yourself through this life that I know every weight in here tonight, every weight in the community and the week, the ones that we share with each other in here, even if you don't know Christ, even if you don't know the person sitting next to you, you were never designed to carry yourself. It is simply a tool that God is using to break you and then put you back together in the finished work of his son on the cross. So how many more days will we roll the dice thinking that the next one is promised? If you feel shame that maybe you haven't realized this in its fullness until now, <coughs> if you feel shame to the point where you are trying to shove that back down inside and not even recognize it or want to talk to anybody else about it, Consider the terrifying shame of God being ashamed of you. Bear your cross. Recognize that the cross was bore for you. That if you say, if you can say, that you trust on the Lord, that you know that Christ is enough to save, and that it was nothing of you and nothing 
of your works, your life must reflect it. And the joy of it is that that standard of perfection is fulfilled by the death of ourselves. The exact opposite of trying to build our sandcastle kingdom in comparison to heaven. It'll crumble every time. Our best efforts are the filthy rags that are thrown aside with the animals and their excrements, as the Bible says. What a joy and what a beauty it is that there's potential for your life to be rooted in the purpose of life itself. What a joy and what a beauty it is that the call to die to yourself, to deny yourself, to bear your cross, is preceded with the truth that Christ carried the cross for you, that he bore the weight of its sin and love enough to meet your sin face to face with his righteousness and redefine who you are as a person. You were never meant to carry yourself. You were never meant to carry the love because love carries you. Do you know that tonight? If not, or if you do for the first time, celebrate it. It's the first day you can say you're truly alive. Why would you keep that to yourself? If you haven't picked up on it, fam operates as a family. And there's people in here tonight who can attest to that. That no matter what life throws at you, no matter what Christ is using to shape you and break you unto himself, that you will have brothers and sisters alongside you and the body of the branch church who will hold you when you can't even stand up. Again, why not celebrate the potential new life you've realized tonight? Why not? Father, thank you so much for you, for who you say you are, God. <coughs> thank you so much for not pinning our salvation and our eternity on ourselves. For not making it contingent that our being with you hinges on our own works, our own efforts. God, we praise you for who you are and we give thanks. <coughs> and we just plead with you, God, that if there's somebody in here tonight who has recognized true life for the first time, that, God, we would have the chance to celebrate that that if that's the case, that your angels are rejoicing alongside your completed work and son or daughter. <coughs> God, we know that is part of your glory. That is your will. So we ask to see it. We ask that you would continue to deprive us of ourselves and give us life in you. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.